The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer, and we are thrilled to have you, our great listeners here on the AI Today podcast. We're going now strong into our fifth year here now, uh, celebrated our fifth anniversary back in September, actually, of 2021, so we're actually halfway into our fifth season now. And we are uh, really love listening to you, our, our listeners. Uh, we've had, our, our audience is growing at a phenomenal rate. We saw one, we were just promoted. Now we're in the top three of all podcasts on the subject of AI, uh, top two actually. But uh, we, we know in order to stay in that position, we know we need to keep our listeners happy. If you're listening to the AI Today podcast for the first time, we spend our time understanding what is happening with AI today and learning from people who are, are in the industry, experts, practitioners, um, who are actually trying to put AI pro uh, projects into place and hearing about their, their, their successes, their challenges, and everything in between. And of course, also, we spend a lot of our time on basic education. We've heard from many of you, you know, just understanding what the various concepts are around AI and machine learning, different aspects of the market. And we've had some great series we've done in the past. So if you haven't learned, listened to our AI failure series, talking about all the ways that AI projects fail, we encourage you to do so. We also have, have talked a lot about AI from our education. We have a, a training and certification on CPMAI called the Cognitive Project Management for AI Methodology. And we've shared a lot of those insights from our training and education. And you will definitely be hearing more about that. So, uh, uh, so definitely make sure you're subscribed, but we have a great guest for you on our podcast today, um, and I'm thrilled to uh, introduce and uh, bring here uh, in, into our AI Today podcast, Vignesh Shetty, who is the Senior Vice President and General Manager at Edison AI and Platform at GE Healthcare Digital. Thank you, Vignesh. Thank you so much for joining us on AI Today. Thanks for having me, Kathleen and Ron. Yeah, we're so excited for this podcast interview with you today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and now your current role at GE Healthcare. Sure. So I, I lead the uh, product and engineering for the Edison AI and digital health platform at GE Healthcare. And what that really does is it focuses on enabling both AI as well as non-AI-based applications that drive various clinical and operational outcomes. So, and prior to this, I spent about 16 years at Cisco in various roles, including co-leading the development of both novel hardware and software, which obviously includes AI, enterprise and service provider grade platforms. So effectively think of it as over 20 years of both successes and misses. So knowing what to do and what not to do as you embed AI and build out a, a software platform. Yes, so that's uh, fantastic that I know you've been doing a lot of work and some of our um, listeners may have actually uh, joined us on an earlier event. We had Vignesh join us at our machine learning lifecycle conference that we did uh, at the beginning of 2021. I mean, it feels even longer than that, but, but a little over a year ago, uh, we, we had that fantastic event. You were on a panel and, and shared some really fantastic insights. Well, um, definitely one of the things I know our audience is interested in hearing about is like, you know, what are some of the unique opportunities and challenges 
of adopting artificial intelligence in heavily regulated industries, such as healthcare? That's a great question, Ron. Um, the way I see it, um, this is both an opportunity and a challenge today, is the inefficiencies in healthcare lead to what? About a trillion dollars of annual financial waste just in the US alone. And from a lot of the healthcare execs, the C-suite, even the chair of radiology or oncology, they report one costs as well as transparency as their number one concern. And they are clearly looking for new solutions to help solve these challenges. And the way they see it, and I would agree, is that AI can help them both save costs, improve patient experience, increase patient volume, which obviously matters, but most importantly, increase access to care. And even the clinicians, they benefit from a lot of these AI-based new technologies through the use of intuitive workflows, maybe even improving diagnostic confidence and less rework, which allows them to spend more time with patients. Think about what happens today, for example. In heavily regulated industries like ours, clinicians rely on heuristics and habit formation to minimize mistakes. And so what they do is they really construct workflows which are unique to them. And for a lot of these physicians, the main hurdle to AI adoption is really getting uh, experience with the technology itself while minimizing risk and minimizing distraction. And they want to make sure that it does not interfere with those clinical routines that they've established over years. And the way the opportunity for AI is to make sure that we come out with thoughtful and targeted AI applications that are based on longitudinal patient data, because that's how you build trust. And trust leads to greater adoption, which is what will lead to AI unleashing its true potential. Right? The second thing that, the second reason I can think of, which is why I'm super optimistic, is if you apply a simple heuristic to test if AI is just a fad or is it a paradigm shift, is to run the small test. Right? Like, for example, in my view, AI is still in its infancy, but it's used a lot by a small number of people today. And that's actually good news. Folks like annotators, like radiologists, like tech. I would have been a little more concerned if it was used a little by a lot of people, because then it's likely to be something that has a sharp edge, but doesn't necessarily sustain. What this does, though, this particular adoption curve, is it allows for the next evolution of the opportunity space for applying technologies like AI. And the way this would occur, I think, is by what we call native applications that are built grounds up with AI in mind. Today, and this is part of the challenge, we view the solution space through the lens of old applications or existing ways of doing things, right? The analogy you may be familiar with is of customers asking for a faster horse versus an automobile, right? Now, that's a great way to on-ramp users into AI, but it also has its limitations because you only see what's new in terms of what it always has been. Now, I think of this as a difference between a website that in the early days of the internet used to let you read an article, something that you could do even with an older technology like a newspaper, to the modern internet, where you have things that websites that allow you to both consume, create, and now even own content in real time. Think Google Maps or even NFTs that introduce digital scarcity. In retrospect, these native applications, which I'm sure will emerge even in healthcare, can seem obvious in hindsight. But in their early stages, they can be very difficult to imagine. And that's one of the challenges that I see, and as well as the big opportunities for AI in healthcare. 
Now, in order to identify these high-value apps, what we're doing is we're working closely with two classes of people in integrating data as well as expertise. There are two worlds here. Right? There's the world of the practitioners. Think of them as clinicians, annotators. And then there's the world of the developers and the startups, both of whom are passionately striving to solve the same problems, but do not necessarily talking to each other early enough. And as a result, some of these offerings do not either address the right clinical or operational need, or are not suitably integrated into workflow, or they simply do not work. And even when it comes to deployment, sometimes there's, an, there's a hurdle around how do you ensure both safety as well as efficacy of as the AI algorithms evolve over time, right? Because regardless of whether it's on the edge or on the cloud, but because you've got to continuously evaluate the performance of these models and assess the need for even reapprovals by bodies like the FDA of these specific AI solutions. Right? So, and so you need to be always designing with the benefit, the safety, and the privacy of the patient in mind. Yeah, maybe if I may ask a quick follow-up question. I know, I know that a lot of our listeners might know that part of the question about regulatory issues is that there are a lot of regulations on patient data, right? Privacy, of course, of patient data. Of course, you know, we originally when these laws and regulations were created, it was about information sharing. You know, people should not get access to information. But of course, in the systems that we're talking about, both artificial intelligence, machine learning, even advanced analytics applications, which may or may not necessarily be machine learning based, we have to make use of this data. Or like we're trying to train systems for image recognition on things like medical imaging. How have you seen um, these regulatory challenges around access to data and data privacy? Are they, is it difficult to work within those constructs or, or is there enough you know, range for people who might be building these kinds of applications to make use of these data, or there may be some, maybe some things that you can share uh, considerations that people might want to think about when dealing with patient data. Yeah, and no, I think that's a great question again. And, and, and in some ways, I would tie that to um, not just data privacy, but even the varying levels of data quality. So the fidelity of data varies by, and the mileage varies by application. So Part of what uh, I know a lot of us are doing to mitigate some of those concerns you highlighted is a, a few things. Right? One, we increasingly leverage synthetic data where appropriate, especially when it comes to AI model training, right? both for analytic applications, for clinical operational focus apps. And we use real world data for primarily for validation and testing, because that's also the expectation of the regulatory bodies, to your point. Right? The other thing that we do and I'm sure other firms do the same, is we try and internalize uh, what we call is our G healthcare AI principles that are enshrined as we onboard new hires, new data scientists, and make sure it's sort of built and baked into how they work day in and day out. And to scale AI, I would recommend that each of us sort of begin our AI projects with the values that are reflect both your industry and your specific company, because most of these principles have, have, have been built and enshrined after having worked closely with the regulatory bodies, with the providers, with your various stakeholders. And that's another key thing that I believe is work that um, will definitely help mitigate concerns around data privacy, data sovereignty, uh, as well as overall greater adoption of high quality AI applications. We also have a secret, right? And that, uh, that secret really is that modern data science, I think, owes a lot of its success to harvesting what is called data exhaust, right? 
data that is of little to seemingly no use to an organization, and that would typically get discarded in an environment of high storage costs. But we believe that data is actually huge value in driving clinical and operational outcomes. Because what we can do with that is use that to kickstart low stakes experimentation without really worrying about real patient data, given that the cost of failures is bounded. The upside though is unbounded because as you iterate, as you learn more, and as you sift the wheat from the shaft, you convert data exhaust to the equivalent of data gold, right? And this, this then would act as a fuel for the AI fire. Because as you can know, the reason why you are at an inflection point for AI is because there's a combination of things happening at the right time, which makes it awesome. One, you starting to get a huge variety of data, some of which are from images, PHI, you got to make sure it's compliant, GDPR in Europe. There's a lot of regulation that we need to absolutely make sure we stay compliant with. But there's also data coming out of uh, wearables from sensors with remote patient monitoring, right? with the broader adoption of uh, virtual care all over the world, uh, in part due to the pandemic. Right? Also things like broader EMR adoption, the proliferation of even the internet and cheaper hardware, things like cloud computing, and obviously better algorithms. So all of this are really making a, a big difference to how you identify what data is useful, what data is actionable, and then how what insights can you drive? Yeah, you know, I mean, we always love talking about data and I'm sure in healthcare, we could probably have an entire podcast dedicated to this. I know you'd also talked about synthetic data and we do, we did actually have a podcast fairly recently for our listeners, podcast number 241 about synthetic data. So I encourage you to check that out if you're interested in learning more about that topic. Um, and, you know, I always do like to hear about opportunities and challenges in every industry. It's different and regulated industries can, you know, sometimes throw a wrench in things, but also um, can provide some additional benefits or just, you know, uniqueness that other industries don't necessarily have to deal with. That's why I, we, we do always like to hear about, you know, what people in those industries are seeing. As it relates to GE Healthcare specifically, how are you applying AI and machine learning in different application areas? Great question, Kathleen. So uh, the way I would say it is um, at a macro level, we at GE Healthcare are trying to meet um, the primary personas uh, that we engage with, the clinicians, where they are, and we are trying to empower, not overwhelm them with AI, because that's been clear and resounding feedback we've received. And one of the ways to do that, and I sort of touched upon it earlier, is to understand where they are today, you know, understand their existing workflows, their habits, and try and make sure AI is as invisible as possible and supplements does not replace the need for, need for human interaction and, and the need for unlearning and relearning workflows. Several examples of how we do that today. Um, we have what we call as the Edison Open AI Orchestrator, which what it really does at its very sense is it simplifies the selection, the deployment, and the adoption of multi-vendor AI, not just AI built by GE, but really this broad and vibrant AI ecosystem of startups that are willing to partner and solve real customer problems. Right? So that's something that, and this would occur both in a departmental as well as a healthcare enterprise setting to enable and automate workflows at scale. We also have things like the critical care suite which what it does is it analyzes X-ray images automatically for critical findings. Think of it as a collapsed lung, pneumothorax, 
And then what it does is it produces triage notifications so that the, the clinician in question can prioritize this particular patient over others. And we can make a real difference to patients at the moments that matter. Closer home on the equipment side of the house, which is where what we consider as upstream AI. How do you embed AI not outside of the equipment, but into the equipment to differentiate uh, and provide better access to care? We have things like Air Recon DI, uh, which is built into our MRI machines. And it's, it's really, really making a difference. We're getting some really good feedback from our customers and the patients. Because what it does is it take, uses deep learning to deliver what we call true fidelity images. Right. This is a deep learning application. What it does is it, it improves the signal to noise ratio significantly. Right? It improves image sharpness while enabling shorter scan times. And this is a big deal because usually it's, it's a zero sum game. You want to have shorter scan times, you've got to compromise on image quality, either this or that. What AI has done is it, it's allowed you to get A and B, effectively the, the probable equivalent of having your cake and eating too. The, the other thing, though, and this is, I would say, arguably even more important, is that we are building out an Edison ecosystem to solve these challenges because no one company, not even G Healthcare or any of our uh, peers, can do this alone. So to be able to solve uh, both and ease the problem of AI adoption for both providers and patients globally, you've got to be able to engage with developers to build best-in-class application. So a part of our job in my team's role is to provide a tool set for these developers, regardless of which part of the world they are, where they operate out of, to be able to define, understand users, get access to these users, and help make sure that we connect them to the customers that we engage with on a daily basis. So think about standardizing even processes of onboarding, how they build, how they validate and how they deploy, how do they monitor after deployment and get feedback from this customer? Because that's one thing that GE Healthcare can do for them. So instead of the every developer needing to know everything, we build a set of capabilities that they can take access, they can get access to once. And then multiple developers can develop using that developer toolkit. We also provide a deployment vehicle, right? Because it's also just as important to ensure that. Uh, we help them on the back-end side of the house. It's not just about building, but also ensuring that it's deployed easily. So packaging the AI, embedding it either into the device, like in the case of ultrasound, or at the enterprise level for multiple devices, both G and non-G, deployed on the edge, in the cloud, all of that is something we uh, focus on. And last but not least, right, healthcare providers. We are helping them gain access to FDA-cleared algorithms and applications by directly integrating these technologies into their existing workflows and bringing these apps from market-ready independent software companies into our Edison platform so that those can seamlessly integrate into our customer workflows, whether those are on devices, on the cloud, or on the edge of the, uh, edge of the network. Hopefully that provides a little bit of an insight, Kathleen. Yeah. That really did. And actually got us thinking about a lot of things here because these are some real patient care, uh, you know, applications here. These aren't, you know, we've seen a lot of applications, but sometimes people like to say, well, I'm going to test AI in a proof of concept or some application that we're not actually going to, it's just for testing, right? But, yes, but yes. these things are, are they're in production, right? I mean, these are things that we're, that are starting, that you're actually starting to see in points of care. I mean, these, these are out there in the market right now, right? 
it absolutely is. So, uh, so we work with both market ready vendors and especially because if you were to segment our customer, there's folks who, who have well-defined outcome that they really want to hit now. And then you've got uh, customers who want to co-create with us, right? Who want to potentially co-develop. And so we, we, we target both ends of the spectrum using the platform. And the, to your point, Ron, uh, depending on who you're talking to, it's very important to understand what their key expectations are. Uh, and, and it sort of ties back to your earlier question, because a lot of these healthcare providers, as well as the AI companies that we engage with, are coming together to put in place robust data governance. Because when it's in production, it's a different ball game. It's not the same thing as early stage, quick and dirty prototyping. Right. You've got to have robust data governance. You've got to have interoperability because it's going to be multi-vendor. It's not going to be all G or Siemens or Philips or pick your favorite right. vendor. It's going to be a mix, right? You've got to be able to interoperate, have common data formats, even ensure data security and bring clarity to consent over data sharing. Because when going back to the AI principles we pride ourselves on, is we take our job of being a trusted steward of both data and insights very seriously. You've got to have clear guidelines on the required level of anonymization, for instance, right? And even the AI research, the other end of the spectrum that I touched upon, needs to heavily emphasize explainable, even causal or ethical AI, because that's going to be a key driver for adoption. Our focus collectively has to be on being as transparent as possible on delivering robust and even reproducible results, mm. as well as guarding against either creating or reinforcing any bias. Because those would be the death knell for AI adoption, in my view. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners would, let, would love to achieve a lot of the outcomes that you're achieving. And actually carrying on with that question, because you were asking, talking a little about data governance, actually brings us into the, our fourth question for you anyways, which has to do with data quality. Because if you're putting these, you know, in some cases, very much life, um, you know, critical to life systems or, or impacting people's patient care or the quality of care, data matters, right? The quality of data matters. And you mentioned that a little bit earlier when we were asking about access to data. So how are you going about dealing with data at different levels of quality and just ensuring that there's some, some sort of consistency in sort of that whole data pipeline? Yeah, so I think it's effectively what, so just to summarize what I probably said earlier, the risk of, we do a few things. First, we try and, uh, the use of synthetic data helps actually ensuring consistency and reproducibility of the experiments we carried out, where it's possible, especially for training. That's something that we've also been actively engaging with uh, bodies across the world on what's the appropriate use of synthetic data in a healthcare setting. Where is it appropriate to use? Clearly, it's not a good, a good, a good place for validation. But for training, it's, there's some fertile ground there. So a lot of our tool sets that we're building and our data scientists is focusing on making sure that you use synthetic data where appropriate, because that drives consistency in training, reproducibility, and even traceability of outputs. The other thing that we, uh, I touched upon is having an active community, both with uh, other AI companies, folks that build these algorithms, as well as providers, our customers, right, and patients, and putting together um, both interoperability standards because that's what, and then data format standards. Because the part of the reason we have varying levels of data quality is I believe as an industry, we've got work to do to be more prescriptive on what good looks like, like depending on the use case in question. And, and step one is just making sure we put together a committee, which is of eminent folks like you guys as well, right? It's not just 
providers and 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 the regulatory bodies but to that say hey what does good look like how do we ensure it's we maintain the appropriate level of privacy but privacy doesn't stymie the ability to iterate and innovate to allow patients to be able to get the outcomes that they deserve so that's that's a key part of our focus as as an ai company that we we believe we, we are right the last thing is of course making sure it is explainable right so even the algorithms that operate on the data part of their job is to get provide feedback on how these things are performing in the field because a, a definition of what does good data look like is also a function of did the model that was trained on a set of data perform as intended when it's actually put out in production or did it do a fantastically good job in training but didn't really operate as designed as as intended as planned in production so being being able to get that feedback loop in a way that it's compliant means ensures that the appropriate privacy considerations of not just the patient but the expectations of the regulatory body that vary by country or met is a key part of what we are trying to do and then once you get that feedback loop you can go back and look at hey the ai model did not behave as intended uh, what was the source of the data that was used to train the model what have we learned what can we course correct and sort of create that flywheel in motion yeah that you know we always love to hear i mean about you know different use cases how how it's actually being used and then you know data issues you know like you said it, at the end of the day you really need good clean data uh needs to you know how it's being used you know who has access to that data all of those you know data governance issues you had talked about earlier too um as to you know is it performing the way that you expected it to perform and if not how often are you you know what is that feedback loop look like and uh, you know who needs to be involved who is monitoring this i mean all these questions because at the end of the day this is important and impactful to people's lives um and you want to make sure that you're getting it right and so it's it's really nice to have these conversations and hear about what's going on how things are being done you know the thought and thoughtfulness that goes into this. So, um, I, I mean, we have really enjoyed this present or this, um, not presentation, but this podcast today with you and this conversation, we always like to end our podcast interviews with the same question. And we get such varied responses, no matter how many times we ask, we have never had two of the same answers to this. And that's why I love this question so much as a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? Well, it should be no surprise, Kathleen, but I'm super optimistic about AI's future. But we also got to act now to not leave that future to chance, right? Because I'm actually convinced that the skills for responsible leadership in what I consider this to be an AI era can be taught, and that people can build both safe and effective systems wisely, you know, driving progress, and actually making life better for those around them. which is why all of us including the work that you guys are doing through this podcast is super critical because we have to choose to step up and share what we learned the hard way both through direct as well as vicarious experience because this is why i'm so bullish about ai right ai if done right has a value proposition that i think is so strong that customers would be irrational to not take advantage of its ability to both simplify clinical as well as operational workflows if they knew the truth what are the big opportunities in clinical ai for it in my mind two there are two things that come to mind one 
multi-modal AI. As I mentioned earlier, the ability now to aggregate data from not just imaging uh, CT scans or MRI scans or X-ray scans, but also combine that with genetic or genomic information, pathology information, our labs, clinical trials, and even social determinants of health, our variables, really increases the possibilities and the art of the possible. I think this will have far greater value in prescribing not even therapies and predicting patient outcomes that are highly personalized because each of us is different. The second application area, which is operational AI, how do you, make, how do you allow our providers to do more things, give access to more patients, access to care at less cost, actually gets less spotlight than the clinical AI. Almost all the focus today is on clinical AI. But a lot of uh, folks we talk to, doctors, both in the US and radiologists and others in the world, believe that operational AI in many scenarios may likely have far greater impact on healthcare than clinical AI. So that's something that I think is potentially controversial, but worth uh, spending time on. Now, for years, we've been also talking about the possibilities of AI in healthcare, often with the assumption that um, you know, these breakthroughs will come from big tech. But we increasingly think, thanks to the, our engagement on the ecosystem side, that the major innovators are likely to actually be small to medium-sized companies with deep domain expertise, right? Working closest to the action with the persona that will actually consume what they build and then partnering with incumbents who have years of expertise in this domain as well as relationships with the customers. And what this is now possible because of cloud, the transformation of the cloud, the acceleration of virtual care and a vibrant AI ecosystem that's enabled by a platform. So now as we put together our collection of voices to train these new breeds of leaders that are skilled in what I think is called decision intelligence, we hope to help new generations build AI more thoughtfully and unlock the better side of technology. The same side that takes us to the stars, helps us conserve resources, and connects us to loved ones halfway across the world. You know, technology, I really think, can be wonderful if we let it blossom with appropriate guardrails, and, I'm, and I strongly believe we will. All right. Well, thank you so much for that answer. I always, like I said, love to hear everybody's answers. They're all unique and really get to, you know, bring your own perspective to things with what you see in both your personal and private life. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today. Yeah. And oh, go ahead, Vignesh. I'm sorry. <laughs> thanks. Sir. Thank you. And thanks for all the fantastic work you folks are doing, educating all of us using this medium. I'm a big fan and all the best. Yeah. So uh, if you are just as enthralled as we are in listening to Vignesh and hearing what he had to share with us here on the AI Today podcast, you can actually hear more from Vignesh because he is speaking at our May Enterprise Data and AI event um, in May. And, you know, in that event, uh, which we'll provide a link to in our show notes. Um, he's basically going to share more insights into what is happening uh, in this space, uh, what is happening in healthcare, and this will be an opportunity for you to interact uh, with, with Vignesh and ask some questions. We always have a highly interactive audience. We don't always share our upcoming events. We do events both on the government side. We have our AI in government event series, as well as our enterprise-focused enterprise data and AI event series. Um, but our listeners, these are free events to attend. And if you like some of the speakers, and you know, sometimes we share 
what our speakers are sharing after the events are, are happening. But now we're, we're going to share it with you before the events have even started. So you can just go to um, events.cognolytica.com. Uh, that's events, uh, E-V-E-N-T-S.cognolytica.com. Uh, click on the sidebar for data for AI. Uh, you will see the event coming up. If you're listening to this uh, podcast before May, uh, you will basically see this event coming up uh, very soon here. I'm actually just getting some of the details and the exact timing of that event. Maybe Kathleen might have that. But it's going to uh, be May 5th. So it's the first Thursday of the month in May. So it'll be May 5th from 1130 to 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, we always love our audience interaction. If any of our listeners have attended, you know that about half of the time is uh for the presentation. And then about half of the time is for Q&A from the audience because we have a very engaged audience. And, you know, I really do enjoy, if, if you've listened to this podcast, please, you know, listen to this beforehand and then listen to the presentation. And then we can dig a little bit deeper into what was discussed. That's why the Q&A is always so wonderful. While the podcast is great because we're asking the questions we want to ask, I always love to hear the audience Q&A because it's questions that you want to ask and have, you know, additional insights from some of the additional uh, content that's presented in in the event, which I know is also nice too, because sometimes it's visual content where podcasts are just audio content. So we can dig a little bit deeper into some of those visuals as well. Um, but like Ron said, it's May 5th, Thursday, May 5th from 1130 to 1 p.m. Eastern time. Definitely pre-register. It's free to attend. All you have to do is just click on the link. You can register and you can also watch it on replay as well. So in case you're, you know, listening to this after the podcast, after the, you know, event has happened, you absolutely can watch it on replay. So we're looking forward to that. Hopefully this was a little preview of what we're going to discuss and some of the topics we'll dig into. So on that note, thank you so much for listening. And again, a big thank you to our fantastic guest, Vignesh. Thank you. All right, listeners. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And we hope that you have subscribed so that you can uh, get notified of all of our additional episodes. We have some podcasts coming up with speakers. Like we said, we'll be previewing some um, events or have some of the speakers who were previously on for either Enterprise Data and AI or our AI and Government event series on the podcast to talk, you know, a little bit in more detail about some of the topics they've presented on. So definitely make sure to subscribe to AI Today so you can get notified of all of our future episodes. And also, if you like this, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We always like to listen to feedback from our listeners and you know, hear what you like, hear what you'd like us to continue to dig deeper on. So please do make sure to rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. I'll make sure to link to the some of the things we discussed in the show notes, including a link to our May uh, enterprise data and AI event, our podcast on synthetic data, and also our cognitive project management for AI, our CPM AI methodology and certification. You know that Ron had brought that up early in the podcast. So thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, 
including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyrighted by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.